Hey, this is Taylor Elder. Thank you for tuning in to Working and Living While Black, a show that explores life as a black woman in the workplace. You can catch the show every week right here. Hello again. You are listening to Working and Living While Black. I'm Taylor Elder, your host. Uh, and today I have Tiffany Crosby. Um, I've known Tiffany. Uh, we've met uh, previously uh, in a church setting, but I just always kind of like kept along with your story and just the fact that you're a woman in leadership. Um, and I always just thought that was really cool seeing an individual being somewhere where I want to be one day. Um, Tiffany, you have uh, has worked in the private sector, has served as executive director for a large organization, uh, works, or sorry, is on the board for nonprofits. Um, I'll let you introduce yourself, Tiffany. <laughs> sure, sure. So my name is Tiffany Crosby. I currently serve as the chief learning officer of the Ohio Society of CPAs. And I have, um, in, in that role, and, and I'm, I'm just sharing that because you can find me everywhere. My, mm-hmm. my name's everywhere out on social media, so there's no big secret there. But um, in that role, I really help oversee learning for um, thousands of CPAs and, and accounting and finance professionals across the, the state on, on a variety of topics, as well as just around internal learning and development, talent management, organizational development for the side society in general, uh, a lot of volunteer oversight, etc. So it is a role that does not have a lot of, of necessarily diversity in it, um, which has been relatively consistent with my career. So I'm a CPA, a certified professional accountant, and um, as a black female, there that is definitely an underrepresented uh, uh, demographic within the CPA space. Mm. I, I still remember when I started my CPA career when I graduated from Duquesne University at the time in the in the business school, not and then in the accounting program, I was one of just a handful of black students across all four years mm-hmm. of, of college. And uh, and so it was very rare for me to see a face that looked like mine uh, within the within my profession. When I started at Arthur Anderson, I was there only their second um, black hire in the Pittsburgh office. And I was really, I believe the first female, although a second, we, we kind of started at the same time. Uh, another person who I was friends with went to school with. And so it's hard to say whether it was first or second. It, I guess it depends on who showed up at what time at work that day. So anyway, um, but not large numbers, just not, not large numbers. And what's, what I find interesting is it's been not quite 30 years, almost 30 years since that time. And the numbers have moved only a little bit, right? They they have not moved in any type of significant or dramatic fashion. While I certainly can talk to more Black female accountants, I can still number them, at least within this region, within more of the Midwest. It looks different if you go into different 
cities, all right, you have a higher concentration perhaps in Atlanta and New York and LA and some of the the larger urban core um, markets. You have Chicago, you have a little bit more, but once you get outside of that, it's still pretty sparse. Wow, that's that's crazy to hear. But I do, I could see how within certain areas within the United States, how there can be, you know, a little bit more diversity, but when you're looking at it overall, those numbers are still relatively low. Um, I saw a statistic and it was just kind of like I was reading through and it was saying something around like 60% of CPAs are some, I think women, and then 1% are black in general, and that's either men or female. Uh, Do you think that's kind of close to what you see in your work? Yeah, so um, basically, and it, and it varies if you do it by level. So in the starting and that entry level position, you might get between three to four that's black in, in, um, from a staff standpoint. But once you get up to a leadership level, yes, it drops to about 1%. Wow. Um, I, I just was talking with um, an individual who works in um, – more of a collegiate setting and they were talking about similar statistics in those leadership roles you have really low representation low numbers um, but when you get lower into the entry level you might start to see a little bit of that uh, representation how was that how was navigating through that um, starting in your career and then even now today yeah. one of the things that makes challenging is this concept of role models mentors that mentorship that as well as advocate or sponsor and they are different but having that mentor having those mentors having those sponsors what it really means is they're really not going to look like you if you're waiting for a mentor or a sponsor that looks like you you're probably going to be waiting for a long time and since there's so few of us like while I very much embrace mentoring and sponsorship and I love to mentor and sponsor young professionals the reality is there's only so many people I can mentor sponsor, mm-hmm. right? And so um, with me, uh, it's going to be the same thing. They're going to experience the same thing that I experienced is that you're going to really be able to be comfortable in some cross-cultural relationships in order to get the mentorship and sponsorship that you need to be successful in your career. I I can kind of relate to what you're saying. Um, I've only been in the workplace for a few years, but I have noticed that I, being in the nonprofit, starting in the nonprofit sector, I did see some diversity as in regards to a woman being my boss. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Like, this is really something that I feel like a lot of people don't really get. Um, But it wasn't until I did a year in New York and my um, manager was Latina. Um, she was an individual who represented a large organization within the state. And I was like, wow, this is my first individual who I've, who I've seen in a leadership role that wasn't white. And I think that's not a rare occurrence. It is not rare at all. And no, um, that is a very common. And even as I do some of my research, I'm in a doctoral program right now. And, and I, did some research on this topic. It's, I'm not sure if that's going to be my focus in my doctoral 
research, but it's at least uh, for some of the assignments that I've done, I have researched this area about the Black female experience and, and really that intersectionality. Right, that mm-hmm. concept of both race and gender intersecting in the workplace, and so many diversity programs focused on one aspect or the other, but they that intersection really does change the experience and the way that particular individual experiences the workplace. And there's so many stereotypes that often go with being black female that I've had to navigate. Um, there's the that stereotype of the angry black female, which means that oftentimes have to be con- careful in how one may voice a dissenting opinion, right? Because to do to voice a dissenting opinion with passion for someone who was not black and female might be viewed as they're just passionate about the topic, mm-hmm. right? They're just very engaged. But for a black female, it's suddenly they're angry, they're aggressive, they're really even making me uncomfortable, right? I don't know that I feel safe, but it's really the same action, but it's that narrative or that lens through which people receive that expression and having to navigate that at a time when there wasn't as much talk about it then as there is now, right? There's a lot more recognition now of microaggressions, of stereotypes, of bias, uh, be it unconscious or conscious, right? There's there's a lot more training on it. There, that training was not there as I've had to navigate most of my career, right? And that awareness was not there. So that is the piece that has really changed. The discussing these topics. Correct. Do you think it's more acceptable to discuss these topics in the workplace or do you think in general across society or both? I think in both. I I have seen, especially over this past year, not that it wasn't occurring before, it was, but I've seen an uptake in this past year beyond anything I've seen in my career as far as not just the number of conversations, but the depth of the conversations and the willingness of people to go into those uncomfortable spaces and really start to engage, be transparent, be vulnerable, and really acknowledge where they're at and what they get and what they don't get. You know, acknowledging what they understand, what they don't understand, and being willing to just go there and have those conversations. And, and that has been what I would, I guess I would say inspiring for me, hopeful, right? It's inspired a bit of hope that we are turning a corner in society. We don't have all the answers. We haven't fixed everything, but we have started to engage in real conversations and move beyond the surface stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that goes back to what you're saying initially about you know, this idea of being an angry Black woman because you're passionate and now allowing individuals to show that passion. And it's not just because I'm Black. It's not just because I'm angry. It's not just because I'm a woman, but it's because of all these experiences that my people have had in the workplace in life. And I think it goes both ways, you know, people being free to share their experiences without feeling like I'm going to make someone uncomfortable. But Mm -hmm. then also that other piece of you people 
choosing to listen. I think it's that choice to yes. listen to the stories. And, and this is one um, where I, I don't know that I would have necessarily made the connection before, but I think TED Talk, TED Talks have unintentionally help with this. And I say unintentionally because that channel came up, not really to focused on DNI, but it was a channel that was really just focused on the conversations and ideas and things that just sparked innovation and sparked the solutions for some of the most pressing issues but in short chunks, but what it's done as more and more people have engaged in that channel is people become more accustomed to hearing people share their stories or mm-hmm. their perspectives, even if they don't agree with them or understand them. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I never even thought about that. Like you're so right with Ted talks, even technology in general podcasts, um, the different types of like documentaries that we see, I think that there is this opening for people sharing stories and sharing their experiences. Um, Do you you think that individuals are now doing that more in their daily lives as well? Because I feel like there also is this, there used to kind of be this division between work and life. And it now seems like they're now just kind of coming together where they overlap and even more in COVID. (laughs) To the extent there was any wall between work and life, COVID just essentially tore that down with everyone working from home and uh, to the extent they can. I I know there were some individuals who could not based on the role they have, but so many people working from home, kids being homeschooled or having to do remote learning and, and, I don't know how many meetings I've been in where individuals' kids have come through and and people make apologies, but I will use it like, hey, let's learn about your kids a little bit. Let them participate. It's fine. And so I've met more family members. I've met more pets and and all of these other things. Or you see things on people's walls and they spark conversation like, oh, I didn't know you were into that. I've the and so I think that has also helped with some of the conversations because people have been able to connect with people as at a personal level mm-hmm. and especially as time wore on and people were hungry for a conversation that wasn't just work related and so you see more meetings where there's a some time allowed for just conversation just chatting right so that it's not just okay we got to get this done let's and and so in doing that I think that that has also made it possible to have these conversations now I am not going to dismiss that there is also a lot of tension and a lot of divisiveness and a lot of strife and there are a lot of angry people upset people you see the comments on Facebook so I'm not going to uh, try and paint a picture that we have where we're in this really good spot. We probably have never been more divided, even as we're more engaged in storytelling. So there is still a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that just as all of these platforms have given an opportunity for people to share their experiences, they've also given opportunities for people to really 
share misinformation, to share hate, to share um, just things that would continue to create more division and and cliques and tribe tribal type of mentality as well, right? It works both ways. Yeah, I think that's really important to share as well. As much as I hope like, oh, these conversations are great, you still do see, um, you know, we make things political, we make things personal. And there's also that, you know, well, technically, like my family member wasn't a racist because blah, blah, blah. And I feel like it there is like when we show the humanity part, we get the good and the bad at the same time. And it's this right. dance between the two. Right. And I think it can be uncomfortable to, to grab hold of and even reconcile ourselves with this nation's history. Mm-hmm. But it is our history. And I, and I use our intentionally because it's my history too. It's all of our history. Uh, this nation has some pretty um, disheartening type of behaviors that have, were not only tolerated, but encouraged, right? That were ingrained in law and, and all of those things. And so I think to deny that history though, is to really deny the the experiences of a whole group of people, mm-hmm. right? And so while what may be uncomfortable, I'll be the first to admit, I struggle to watch Selma or I struggle to watch some of these movies that are very accurate portrayals of those times. But when I watch them, I can get angry and I'll have to pause and come back to it. Or a man who watch it once and may not go back to it because of the emotions that it stirs up. I have some books that I've I've read. I've I've been doing a lot of reading over this past year. I had always I've always been a reader. I read about six between sixty to seventy books a year, and um, but I've been doing a lot of reading. Uh, but on diverse viewpoints as it relates to racial reconciliation, as it relates to our nation's history. I, I've read what people who are all across the spectrum, right? Uh, because I think that that is how we really start to be able to engage in those conversations with individuals who are looking at this from a different perspective than what we are. Right. And sometimes those books are hard to read. They're hard because you want to say, I just, I disagree with that. And I don't want to read anymore. But, and this is, I know this is a buzzword now, but I, I'm just not willing to cancel people. I'm not willing to cancel their voice, even if I don't agree with it. Right. I completely have similar sentiments on this whole idea of cancel culture. And I think, we take, we take the passion and we take the intention for racial, rece- racial reconciliation and we decide, there's some individuals who decide, okay, let's work together and do this. And then there's other individuals who say, you are now canceled. And right. I think, who am I, even though I'm angry with that individual, even though I disagree with their point, who am I to say that they still don't have a voice to share even if I don't agree with it, it's 
I think it's completely wrong. They still have a voice to share. And it's unfortunate, but that's just the freedom. You know, that's part of our history, like you were saying. And so, and so, yeah, and, and, and that makes the workplace a very interesting place to navigate as you're trying to figure out what conversations are safe, not, not safe in that we're going to ignore any uh, discrimination or bias or any of those things. I mean, safe in that we're not going to get into this political minefield mm-hmm. that really is not conducive to working relationships and are not necessarily what belongs in the workplace. And and so I do know that people are a little bit uncomfortable trying to navigate that, right? Uh, during the election period, that was a very tense time in the workplace as far as what's safe to say. Uh, you know, even there were some people who wanted to know how you were voting so they could determine whether whether they were going to continue to be friends with you or not. But the reality is there's nothing that says we haven't, we don't have an obligation to tell people here's where we stand or here's what we're voting. That's, we have the freedom to do so, but we also have the freedom not to do so. And I think people are struggling with that a little bit because they feel, well, I have a right to know. Actually, you don't. (laughs) So, um, and, and, um, and that created some very interesting dynamics in the workplace. I I think when you say dynamics, and you kind of alluded this to this earlier too, is that intersectionality. Um, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel when I see an issue, I have to choose if I'm going to be a female in that case or if I'm going to be black. And I don't think that should happen, but I, I don't know if I'm the only one. <laughs> Uh, you know, I would say that there was a point in time where I felt that way. I, I think that over time, I have become comfortable with my full identity. And it's just like, here's who I am. Take it, leave it, whatever. Here's my perspective. And uh, it's not a Black female perspective it's not a black perspective it's not a female perspective it's not even a black female perspective this is tiffany's perspective based on my experiences on my research on my knowledge on my on the relationships i have but i do not represent the entire black race i don't represent the entire female population i don't represent the entire black female population so Take it for what it's worth. This is my perspective. That's kind of where I've where I've landed. I think I needed to hear that in my soul. So thank you. You're just like <laughs> speaking to me right now. I'm like, oh yes, Taylor. This is my. This is your perspective. Um, but I do think that that's really important. And I I do think that it does come with that lack of confidence in trying to navigate who you are in the room. Um, and I think everyone kind of deals with that, but. I've noticed for myself, it's like, oh, who am I in this circle of people? Um, Have you ever felt that way being maybe an individual who, you know, being Tiffany in the room with a bunch of other people, um, either in the private sector or being on a board where there is a lack of representation? Yes. I I, I felt that way a lot, Um, especially what I would say is this is where faith has come in for me is that 
I think what really started to change my perspective is when I started to say, you are in this position or you are in this room because you're supposed to be in this room because you're following the path that God's laid out for you. God put you in this place. He put you in this position for a reason. Uh, and and therefore, it's like you're here because you're supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. And um, as I've started going into these spaces, I'm like, I, I go in there with my God identity first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has really been what has really defined me. I am... I am a a child of God before I am anything else, right? Before I'm a chief learning officer, before I'm a CPA, before before anything, that's my identity. So when I walk into a room, I walk in and I'm like, I I can handle whatever this room presents because I'm not walking into this room alone. I'm never walking to a room alone. I may be the only black female, but I'm never alone. Right. And that's the faith perspective. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think, and I am a Christian as well. And so that part, I do feel like I do have this identity, but I think for everyone, just understanding that like your identity is who you are supposed to be in that room and you're made, however your belief system is, you were made specifically to be you as an individual and that you can walk in confidence in that. Um what advice do you have for someone who is navigating through this process? Um, specifically, I'm asking for me, what advice do you have for me um, going into this process? But yeah, just for in general. Yeah. So I would love to say, oh, this was such an easy place for me to get to, right? Where I'm like, I'm comfortable in my identity. I'm comfortable in my skin. This was a journey. And this was a journey that happened over many years um, I, I still remember, I like to write and I maintain journals and I've gone back to some of my old journal entries and I did have a, a few journal entries. I went through a span of time where I was journaling on blackness, right? And I had called those journal entries an exploration of blackness. And I was trying to understand what does it really mean when I, to be black in America, right? What does it mean for me? Um, And part of it is because I I have vitiligo. I don't have a bad and you can't really see it that much. But I still remember when I saw that first piece of white skin like on my one one of my fingers. And I'm like, and that's really was part of this whole thing of, of, you know, what would happen if that continues to spread and my skin is more white than black. I mean, I, I have an active imagination. And so I started going down all of this. What if I have, what if my hand is white, but my arm is black and all of these types of scenarios. But for me, what it did was it forced me to really explore what did that mean? What was it within my identity as a black female that was so precious to me that the thought that my skin might change was like, I, it, it was causing a lot of angst. And so um, that probably started the process for me. That's where I started to get far more serious and trying to understand 
what what is this thing we call blackness mm-hmm. right that's when i started to understand the racial construct behind it and all of those things but then started to say but how has that shaped my experience and i'm still do that i'm still journaling i'm not a hundred percent there i still have some experiences that i've had more recently where i'm like i can't believe i just experienced that we're, we're at 2021 how is this still happening, right? And and I think that that uh, I would love to think that there will be a day where I won't ask myself the question as to why we are still having these experiences in America as uh, people of color, but we're not there yet. And I don't know how long it's going to take us to get there. I, and, and so until we do, we are still going to be on this journey of trying to understand what it means to live and work while Black. I still, there will probably still be stories that you're followed in. There will still be individuals that will look at you and maybe talk to you slightly different. I still have people who think I'm at a different level than I'm at if I attend something in person and and they're waiting for the the boss to show up or whatever. And it's like, I'm here. I'm here. So, <laughs> um, and, and that might change. Um, I hope it does change. But until then, I've, I've had to learn how to just navigate those situations with grace. Right? Because I don't control them, but I do control my response to them. And I appreciate you ending at that note. I think it is that response piece. How am I? And it can be a response in, you know, your thoughts. It can be a response in your actions. Um, And I think both of those are just as important with moving forward and making sure that I'm also encouraging change. I'm also Mm -hmm. encouraging people to question their belief systems and the way that they process things. Um, Thank you so much, Tiffany. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, I appreciate you joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And it's great to see you again. (laughs) It's good to see you again, too. I know virtually, but it's still good to see you. Yes. Um, And thank you also for listening. Um, I'm excited for more conversations on about working and living while Black, um, the intersectionalities of being a woman, a Black woman in the workplace. Um, So we'll see what else is to come. All right. Thanks.